This broadcast is part of the IC Robots Radio Network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long. Countdown for blast off. Welcome to the Toys R Us Report, recorded live on Jupiter's third largest moon, Callisto. You hate how he turns the mic cord to a whip. You suckers just flip, cause he's too hip. Your host, Icy Robots. Greetings Earth people, I am from Jupiter, it is me again, Icy Robots, I am not a hero, I do keep telling you that, but I do sacrifice a bit of my week each and every week to make your week a bit less weekend this week. This week is going to get so much less week because we, we're going to talk about toys, we got a serious toy topic, it is a line that is known as Sergeant Rock by Rimco, it's going to be great, we're going to talk about Wonder Woman, this is... This is going to be a super great show, and I know from the bottom of my heart, you're going to love it. So let's get going. I don't know. Something. Hit it. Do you ever think about when you're out of here? Podcasts and videos out of here. Fan page and MySpace out of here. No doubt ISR is old school, but he ain't going out. You are listening to the Toys R Us Report. Nobody's safe, champ. Keep your hoodie on and your boots laced. That's always good advice. I tend to keep my shoes on around the house just in case. But I don't, I don't wear hoodies all that much. I used to. I used to wear them a lot. But I, I kind of came to this realization a while ago. I was, like I was at a thrift store walking around looking at the VHS tapes or the audio cassettes or whatever. And the wife comes up to me and she's like, hey, I, I found this sweater. It's like, a, you know, like a cardigan, like a button sweater. And she's like, I think it might look good. Why don't you try it on? It was like it was a heavy sweater. It's blue. I I did like the way it looked, so I, I tried it on, and it was it was super comfortable. It was really great, and when I buttoned it up, it gave me, like, the same protection as a hooded sweatshirt, but it also, it, like, it looked a million times better than a hooded sweatshirt. Like, I could have, you know, I could have gone out to, like, a, not necessarily, like, a great-type restaurant, you know, but... A, you know, a good restaurant for sure with with this sweater. And if I went to the movies or if I went wherever, I would look better than if I was like wearing a hooded sweatshirt, which is very comfy, but doesn't necessarily look that great. People, people like the zippy ones too. And I'm not into those zippy ones so much. I don't know. I don't like how, how they feel like over my midsection. They tend to be too tight. Even if you get like, bigger sizes for some reason like the zipper in the front makes it seem tighter than just like a pullover hooded sweatshirt so when I do when I do go hoodie style it's definitely pullover but uh I gotta admit man I'm really into these uh sweaters lately it's unfortunately like the end of sweater weather at night it does occasionally get sweaterish still and it is a bit overcast from what I understand down on a good old planet earth but i'm you know i'm becoming a sweater dude and i wasn't sure that i would ever see the day when that would happen i always saw myself rocking like uh hooded sweatshirts and things like that but i'm discovering that like uh, a pullover sweater has 
the same effect and the exact same comfort level. If you get like a nice cable knit sweater, it feels heavy like a sweatshirt and it provides a lot of comfort and it just ramps up your appearance so much more than if you're wearing a sweatshirt. That's just something I've discovered. This is maybe something that you guys have all known. I don't know, man. Maybe you guys in the colder states are rocking sweaters, you know, 24-7. I, I know not. I just know that for me, this has been a revelation and I'm I'm happy. I've really like put together a fairly decent sweater collection, even over like a month or so. If you hit up like thrift stores, there are sweaters galore and uh People go through sweaters quickly, it seems like. They turn them into the Goodwill, and then they get another one. And if you you don't want to spend a lot of bucks, but you're thinking you might want to get a couple cool sweaters for loafing around the house next winter, this is this is my suggestion for the week. I've also gotten back into uh, cassettes lately, like actually playing cassettes. I was I was reading something, and they were they were talking about. Uh, De La Soul's first record, Three Feet High and Rising. It's a fabulous, it's a fabulous uh, five mic for sure, guaranteed, guaranteed tape. And I, you know, I was reading about it and I'm like, I'd like to hear that. You know, I want to, I want to get, get it. And um, I was like, I, I know I have it on my phone, but then I started thinking to myself when I was like digging through a drawer for a screwdriver the other week, I remember I saw the actual cassette, not the cover, just the cassette in the drawer. And I said, why don't I, why don't I go get the cassette? And I know that I got a Walkman. So I got the Walkman and the cassette and I plugged it into the, into the stereo system with the aux cord or whatever. And I really got into it. What I, what I discovered that I missed out of, out of the whole thing when I'm listening to like a CD or, you know, the streaming music on, on my phone is the sides, side one and two, it was, it was kind of neat to get to the point and then see this is like the plan they charted out for the whole first side. Like they, they planned out the first side. There's like some songs, some skits, some of the songs are up tempo, some down. It's like, it, it kind of goes with the flow. And then when you flip it, it's kind of neat to see the program of the other side. I was Always like a cassette dude. Cassettes were my jam. I was slow to shift over to CDs. Eventually I did and I got rid of, I got rid of a lot of my cassettes and I'm also sad to say when I was younger I didn't take the best care of them. I would keep them all together but I was super lazy at putting them back in the cases so a lot of them are in a lot worse condition than they should be. I got a few, like a few bins in the garage that I've been digging through seeing what other like cool cassettes I can find and I got some I got some covers and I got some cassettes and then I got some covers and cassettes so there are some that I know I'm going to start like looking into see if I can find again online I've actually I'm not gonna lie I've gone on eBay and since I played that De La Soul tape I've purchased I purchased two tapes I do it on the cheap I don't wanna rap tapes hip-hop tapes are sometimes pricey like some people are aware that there's a collector's market for them and they charge accordingly, but I I try to play it smart and like I'll type in, you know, exactly the title of a tape that I've that I f- want and I'll look for the newly listed ones and see if maybe somebody's just listed it without knowing that it has, you know, some kind of collector value and has it just at a very low price because it's a dead medium. It's a cassette. Nobody listens to cassettes. So 
I was able to pick up the Cactus Revisited, that's Third Base's remix record. It's not great. There is a really good Marley Marl remix of Product the Environment on there, and it's okay, but it was a cassette that I had and that I wanted again. I also ha- already have Derelicts of Dialect by Third Base, and I have to find the Cactus, the Cactus album. I was a big Third Base fan. I don't know, man. I feel like they represented, and I, I was into them back in the day, but I... Definitely do want to get all three of the cassettes. The Cactus is, it's a bit pricey for a cassette. For me, at any rate, I see it going for like 20 bucks. And that's, that's a bit more than I want to pay just for like a couple nostalgia listens to a cassette. So I'm I'm keeping my eye open to see if I can find that one on cheap. Also, I have De La Soul's uh, Three Feet High and Rising, but I don't have the case. If any of you guys out there have a spare case, I, uh... I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, trying to trade for something if you are so interested. I, I've tried to find the case on eBay and I just, I can't seem to come across it. And it's like a, it's like a $25 tape to get the whole thing again. And I don't, I don't I'm not into it at that, that rate. A tape that is like really expensive is the, uh, Raekwon the Chef record with the, with Ghostface, the purple tape. The purple tape goes for... I've seen him sell for like a hundred, a hundred and ten dollars. It's now don't get me wrong. This is a five mic record. It's great. And it was extra dope because it came on a purple tape back in the day. That's why they called it the purple tape. You know, when you were hanging out with your homies down in the temple of the waxy stump, you'd be like, what should we play next? And somebody would be like, yo, play the purple tape. So the purple tape has fame and notoriety as that name, the purple tape. And man, that was a bit, well, Not even a bit. That's a lot out of my price range for cassette, but here's the rub. I have the cassette and I cannot find the case for it anywhere. I've gone through all my bins and I just cannot find the case. I want it. I want it bad. I want to put those together because that's a fun tape too. That's a a real classic. One, I think that, and I don't want to, I don't want to get like hipsterish about this because I'm not, I'm not hipsterish at all. I'm I'm looking for nostalgia because I would always play tapes in my boombox. I didn't like switch up to a stereo until like much later in life. And I one thing I think is like to me, rap sounds better as a cassette. In my opinion, cassettes kind of they play a bit bass heavy, and I think that that is that that goes in tune with the rap music and just the way that rap sounds sort of mechanical, like the way the beats are repetitive. I think that that sounds good in the the sort of fuzzy way that a cassette plays. So, I don't know, man. I'm getting getting back into cassettes and I I got to say I didn't need I didn't need another sort of collector thing to get into, but what are you going to do, man? Sometimes you just kind of just kind of fall into these things un- uncontrollably. Another another cassette that I got before I finish this uh, topic for the moment is License to Ill by the Beastie Boys. I used to, like, when I was, like, a super hard hip-hop head, I was kind of, like, anti-Beastie Boys, and Gino Vega can back me up on this. I, I was pretty harsh on them, but as time has gone by, I have I have come to acknowledge that they have made quite an impact on the overall hip-hop scene. I... I tried to discredit them, and I, I don't know why that was. It's probably because, uh, just looking back, I could imagine it was because they were also, like, crossing over into other styles of music. And I was, I was like, really a purist. You know, it was, like, hip-hop all the time, and they were, like, trying to branch out. They were 
they were doing the smart thing. You know, they were trying to expand themselves, but I was, I was a bit close-minded and I, 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 I don't know, man, I, I gave them a hard time, but at any rate, I have come to acknowledge that they are, they are Titans and that I, that License to Ill is a five mic record and Paul's Boutique is probably a five mic tape as well. And I, I got License to Ill when I was at the dig the other day. Some dude had a bin full of tapes, not a bin, a case, like one of those big, big wooden wall cases. Do you remember those people would have on the wall and they, they were made by like a wine company or something. They, they were like Napa Valley wooden, I don't know, but they were pretty common around here. And dude had one of those full of tapes and they were, they were largely like Jimmy Buffett. There was like 15 Jimmy Buffett tapes and things of that sort. Dude was, you know, he's kind of a parrot head, which is cool, man. You know, whatever, whatever you like, man, it's cool. I, I'm all for it, and amongst them was License to Ill. I was uh, I was surprised, but then the Beastie Boys crossed over. I think into everybody's everybody's rotation. They're hip hop dudes, like punk dudes, rock dudes. I bet there's even like country dudes who were repping the Beastie Boys. It's just they they really had that wide wide appeal, and the appeal only expanded as they became more respected as actual artist as opposed to like gimmicky gimmicky rappers but license to ill is just a terrific tape that one is another one that you can just you can put it in you can play it all the way through and i was happy to i was really happy to find it rick rubin the dude who who produced the bc boys produced like some early run dmc all sorts of stuff you know who rick rubin is he was really ahead of his time with the with the drum machine work on a lot of these bc boy songs they got some they got some great loops at any rate let's Let's move past this and into uh, at the movies where we're gonna we're gonna take a look at two movies this week. The first one is a movie known as Baywatch, and the second one is one of the most anticipated movies of the summer. A movie known as Wonder Woman. Let's get going. Check one, two. The return of the boom bat means just that. It means the return of the real hard beats and toy chat. Another silly sucker want his champion belt But like a microwave these days he make him melt He never crossed over, never went pop You know ISR will give you real toy talk In a moment, at the movies, without Ebert, Siskel or even that dude Roper But you got Icy Robot, so that's something, right? While you're watching the game are watching the bay. Welcome to Baywatch. You people are lifeguards, not police. You people. Oh, you don't get to say that. You're just tan. Right on. Come on, brother. Why does she always look like she's running in solo? You see it too? You going night night? Ready to do this? Hell yeah. Whoa, whoa. What are you wearing? Freedom. That's desecration. We went to see Baywatch uh, Sunday afternoon, the week that it opened, and I was looking forward to it. I thought that this could, I thought that there was a lot of potential here, especially with The Rock. The Rock is just, you know, he's The Rock, man. What are you, you going to say about him? And Zach Efron is a talented dude, too. Dude was in Neighbors and Neighbors 2, and both of those both of those were funny, and a large part of it was because of him. He is definitely a capable comedic actor. Unfortunately, I, I don't like to slag other dudes' work, but 
This wasn't the best movie that I've seen of all the times. It was, it was definitely not bad. It was definitely not horrible. There were more than a few times that I laughed out loud and I did, I did not consider it to be like time misspent, but it wasn't as funny as a movie like Neighbors. It was more like a movie like Chips. And I did see a lot of upside in this. I thought that there was a lot of potential for humor kind of poking fun at the at the old Baywatch tropes of, you know, crime on the beach and all all kinds of things like that that would push lifeguards into into police work. But the movie just I don't know, it felt disjointed and sort of forced. And while there were like a fair amount of laughs. I will admit that there were a fair amount of laughs and I didn't really have that bad of a time or anything. It just, I don't know, it didn't deliver on the level that I had hoped that it would. Let's hop on over to Good Old Tomatoes and we're going to take a look at some of the pertinence of the movie. It is currently at 16% with the with the critics and 19% with the people. It's rated R, which is something we'll talk about in a second. It was directed by Seth Gordon. It made $22 million its opening weekend, but that was that was considered a bit of a flop. And it is 116 minutes, you know, an hour and 46, which is just a bit long. And it did play a bit long. The, the movie is rated R and it has promos for a lot of like PG and PG-13 movies that we've seen. Not PG, but PG-13 movies that we've seen. So 2.0 had seen the trailer for this like 800 times and she'd seen the TV spots and she said that she was interested in it and it looked to me like there would be a bit of violence, but nothing, nothing weird, comedic violence. And some language and some off-color jokes, but if a movie's rated R for jokes, I'm not really going to be incredibly opposed to letting her view it. It's not something that that really comes up all that often, but she did kind of have an interest in seeing this. So I said, you know, we're going to see it first and we'll see what, we'll see, we'll see what happens. And we're sitting there watching it and there's just jokes and some swear words and it's no big deal. And I'm thinking to myself, if they just kind of like toned it down a notch, they could have gotten a PG-13 rating for this, which would have in my opinion, you know, increased their audience exponentially. But uh, then all of a sudden there is a graphic scene of male nudity, which is something that's kind of popular in comedies these past few years. But there was one and then there's another. And I'm thinking if this is the reason you guys fought hard for like your R rating, these jokes could have just been knocked right out. And I'm not even like, I'm not even opposed to nudity. I don't even care, but it, was a comedy, and the nudity wasn't overly funny. I feel like you could have knocked it right out, toned down the language a bit, got a PG-13 rating, and maybe not necessarily had a funnier movie, but probably a more financially successful movie. And ultimately, that's, you know, that's what you're shooting for. Another kind of kind of drawback I had with the movie was, outside of The Rock, and outside of Zac Efron and Alexandra Daddario, everybody else was absolutely nobody I'd ever seen before. And that's not necessarily a big deal, but the, you know, the C.J. Parker role, the role of Pamela Anderson was was covered by uh, Kelly Rohrbach. And she doesn't even have like a picture at Tomatoes. I've seen her in a couple things, but that was only like after 
I'd seen promos for Baywatch. So she's not necessarily somebody that like necessarily stood out. And sure, you know, she's a lovely gal, but let's be honest in the role of like, you know, CJ Parker, the Pamela Anderson role, you really got to, you really got to try to find like a, a exceptional standout beauty for this. I think because Pamela Anderson was one of the biggest beauties of the nineties. She might've been like the biggest beauty of the nineties. So if you're going to, you know, introduce somebody in that role, you got to, you got to come correct. Like, you know, the Mitch Buchanan role, the David Hasselhoff role, that role's gigantic too. And they got, they got the rock, you know, they came correct. It's like, there may be only one person in the world with more charisma than David Hasselhoff. And that person, that person is the rock. And I don't know why they didn't choose to fill some of the secondary roles with people I that people might be more familiar with. That's not that it's not that there's anything wrong with using unknowns. A lot of times that's really successful, but these weren't exceptionally interesting unknowns. And I, I really don't like saying bad things about other other people's projects, but I feel like I have to have to advise you correctly. And I think that this might be like the good movie if you know you get HBO. And then, like, one Saturday night, you're home with nothing to do, and this is the movie that premieres. You can watch it. You'll have a good time. But I don't recommend that you run out to the theater and see it. I don't even recommend you get it on VHS. I think you can definitely wait till it's playing on, uh, you know, your various your various home systems of, uh, of the day, the Dumont Network and such. So, as that is, I'm going to go ahead and give it maybe 2.5 mics. 2.5 mics. You are listening to IC Robots Radio. created us. I will fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Wonder Woman. What are you? You will soon find out. Rated PG-13. Experience it in IMAX 3D. All right, my dudes, this is one of the one of the most anticipated movies of the summer, if not if not the entire year. DC movies are they're kind of on a real bad path, it seems. They haven't they haven't so much produced a winner as a bunch of like mediocre, not really that fun sort of dour movies and people have been wondering, will they be able to break out of that funk? with Wonder Woman, and I am happy to say that they did. DC has, in fact, produced a terrific summer movie. Wonder Woman was super duper fun. Let's, uh, let's take a look at the Rotten Tomato particulars real quick. The movie is 141 minutes. It is a bit long, and the end the end does kind of drag. It is written by Zack Snyder and a couple other dudes, and it was directed by Patty Jenkins, who you might know from the movie Monster, the one that came out some odd years back, and it starred Charlize Theron as a serial killer. It's one where she, she really uglied herself up. The, the movie stars, of course, Gal Gadot as well as Chris Pine. There are a bunch of other people in it, but these are the main two. Robin Wright Penn makes a really great turn as well. The movie was the movie was super fun. Out of out of the three acts involved in the play, two of the three acts are terrific, and one of them is 
is not so bad. I want to get into the story a bit, but don't worry. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil anything that you don't like already see in the commercials or the trailer. The movie starts off with her on. Paradise Island, Themyscira, when Steve Trevor, who is played by Chris Pine, crash lands on the island, bringing outside pain and misery with him. And then Wonder Woman realizes that her place is not here, hidden away on Themyscira. Her place is out in the world, helping to end war. She believes that Ares, Ares the god of war, is out there, and that he is, he is what's behind the entire... The entire World War One. I. I liked that. I liked that the movie was in World War One. It seemed. It seemed fresh. So many things are in World War Two because World War Two is a just a terrific backdrop. But it was fun to see something that was in that was in World War One. The costumes were they were different than the things you see because you're so used to seeing you know the American 1942 army uniform and the Nazi uniform. But this had you know Turks and all sorts of different army stuff that you don't so commonly see. So that automatically gave the movie, like, a real fresh feel. And then the time she spends on uh, Paradise Island is terrific, too. The the opening act where you are first introduced to Diana as, as Baby Wonder Woman is terrific. Baby Wonder Woman is so cute, and the character is just... She's dying to train, but her mother who is the queen of the Amazons. She doesn't want her to, doesn't want her to take part in these kind of activities. And you see her, like, has to try to sneak off and get fighting lessons. It's a lot of fun. Very cute character. Very, very great opening scene. And then the second act where she comes, you know, she comes to the man's world is also super terrific. Seeing her as, seeing her as a fish out of water is really great. She's not so much mystified as she is disgusted by our day-to-day existence. She's disgusted by London when she gets there. The the EPA standards are horrible and there's smoke and smog and she's like, this place is the worst. And when you look at it, you know, compared to Paradise Island, it is, it is in fact the worst. And that whole middle portion where she kind of tries to learn the ways of man through, through Steve Trevor's Trevor are very well put together. And there is a scene where she's in World War II, she's on the front, and she finds out that a village is being attacked by the Germans, and she, being the hero that she is, she's like, we have to save that village. And she she rises from the trench, and this is the first time you see her in in the costume. Now, you've seen her, of course, in Justice League and stuff, but when you see her, and she comes out, it's it's so bleak. And it's so stark and it's mud and it's gross. And she rises out of the trench in this blue and red and gold uniform with a shield and a sword. And she charges right at the, right at the Germans. If you don't get goosebumps from this dude, there, there is something wrong with you. When she, when she runs out there and she's fighting and the first time they hit that, they hit that Wonder Woman sting that you hear in all the promos and stuff. It's amazing. She's running through the front lines with her shield and her sword, and she's deflecting bullets with her bracelet, and there's a part where she smashes a machine gun with her shield. It is just... It is just terrific. And the way that... The way that she stands out, and just, you know, being a woman in the middle of World War One, she stands out, but then she's wearing this... This outfit. She has, you know, a tiara. She has wristbands. It's... 
It's a great scene and definitely one that we are going to remember. But as the movie drifts off into into the, you know the final act, the the big battle at the end that all superheroes have, it sort of it sort of drifts off into that DC movie kind of. It's at night and it's smoky and there's explosions and it it's it's CGI and I don't. I don't know if this is like the fault of the filmmakers or just just the inherent weakness of the superhero genre that the third act always has to be a battle and just due to the fact that human beings aren't superheroes you got to you got to mix it up with the CGI parts of it altogether are just you know Gal Gadot's animated and Ares is animated and it's it's like watching a cartoon, and I don't think that this is the fault of Wonder Woman or just it's the fault of the genre. It's always it's always gonna be this way, but the parts at the beginning where she's you know just exploring herself and being herself and just going into the world of man are all really terrific. Gal Gadot has a lot of charisma. I I've known of her since like the Fast and Furious days because I'm into that. I've seen her in a uh, Triple Nine, and I. Never saw, like, a lot of charisma from her. And this movie, though, she she has a smile that lights up a room. You know, she is, she's showing herself to be something special. I enjoyed this quite a bit. We went with, we went with a 2.0, and she, like, right from the bat, she will just tell you she hates all the DC movies. She thinks they're awful. And she kind of thinks a lot of the Marvel movies are awful, too. It's not really her thing. She's more of a, more of a Summerfield theater goer. She likes the... Likes the arty farty things, but she went with us, and she was she went with because she's like, this is a big movie, this is something everyone's gonna see, so I feel like I should see it, even though I'm not really into it, and I think it'll stink. But by the time it was over, she was won over, and she was she was into Wonder Woman too. So I don't know, man. This was this was a success in a lot of ways. Now going forward, you're not gonna you're not gonna go see a DC movie and think that it's going to stink, even though. Even though a lot of this is Gal Gadot, and even though she's going to be in Justice League, you know, she's not going to be the only one in Justice League. So, you uh, DC folks are going to have to, you're going to have to hit a couple in a row to completely win me over. But, look, I want you to. I have faith in you. I want you to. I want nothing more than to go see good movies. So, I wish you the best. And, as far as this one goes, I'm going to give it, like, a solid 3.5 mics if... They would have found a way to tighten up the end. I might have gone as high as four because Gal Gadot's terrific. A lot of it was really great. The characters were actual characters and they were actually interesting. But as it is, it is what it is. 3.5 mics. Prepare yourself for the power of the Retro Toy Roundup, a super close-up look at the toy line from the recent or not-so-recent past, all seen through the filter of IC Robot's cybernetic eye. Hello, my dudes, and welcome to another exciting, another exciting take on the Retro Toy Roundup, where I am this week going to pop my cybernetic eye out of my head, and I am going to look very... Very close up at a toy line that is near and dear to my heart from a company that is near and dear to my heart. That is, of course, Sergeant Rock by Rimco. I am a longtime fan of Sergeant Rock, and that's something you know if you've been 
you've been listening for a bit. I like the dude. I also, I also like Remco Toys. This isn't the first look that we've done at something by Remco. Not even, not even by a long shot. We got like, we got numerous episodes out there about Remco Toys. I, I jotted them down so that I wouldn't forget. But then when it comes time, the time to look for it, I don't know. I don't know where I left the note, and I apologize you can hear me clooping around with my clootboard, but that's just the way it is. Alright, let me get these papers straight. You know, I did, I got, I got notes. I did research. I, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to come correct. This is, let's see, this is the one, two, three, four, fourth, fifth episode that we've done about Remco Toys. Check it out. Episode number seven, we dealt with the Mighty Crusaders, and then episode 13... We did AWA Wrestling, and then we also did The Warlord. That was episode 8, and then we did it again in episode 23 about the Karate Kid. It's been quite a Rimco break, because now we're on episode number 119. It's been a while, I apologize, but I think I think this is going to be fun. I think that we are all going to enjoy getting a nice look into Sergeant Rock by Rim Kiggity Co. I want to I want to start this roundup with a personal story. That's that's usually how I do it. I'll I'll start it off with like a personal tale that kind of I think I hope I wish kind of brings you into the tale. The story this time out is a story of of shame, of a personal shame of mine, of something I did that I am not necessarily proud of. Uh, I'll let I'll let you listen, and then you can decide if you think I'm even a worthwhile human being by the end of this. Uh, Rimco toys seemed like they were always mostly at Kmart. We we went to Kmart a lot. It was kind of near where we lived, and. Kmart's kind of like an institution in, you know, the the Midwest. And when we came to California, we we stuck with the Kmart habit. And it was just where we would go if we needed to pick up just like a random item, like a shovel or a pack of white t-shirts. It was our go-to place for that kind of thing. And when I would go along, I would, of course, always, you know, dip off to the toy section. And it seemed that... Kmart had more Remco toys than any of the other stores that we went to, be it Toys R Us or Sprouse Ritz or Ben Franklin or TG&Y or any of the other, like, five and dimes around our area. And one of the times we went over there with my folks, me and my little bro dipped over to the toy section and I was checking out the... The Sergeant Rocks by Rimco. And I really wanted these. I thought they were neat. I'd only ever read like a few different Sergeant Rock comics, but I was I was drawn to his World War II tales and I wanted to get up on these toys to add them to my, you know, burgeoning G.I. Joe collection. They had some neat figures and they had some neat playsets and they had that authenticity that early G.I. Joe's somewhat had and I thought they I thought they would be a nice fit and while I was while I was poking around at the toys I saw one that was a kit for a machine gun emplacement with sandbags and like a barbed wire fence and it came with a figure and when I went to look at it I noticed that it was it was a bit cheaper 
than the other toys. For whatever reason, it had a price tag of $1.29, whereas the other ones were up, I'm going to say, in the $4.99 range. That seems a bit low, but it may be true. I remember that a G.I. Joe at the time cost $2.76. I know this because I have a couple of the cards still from my original Joes from back in the day, and that was... That was the price on them, so I'm thinking like a Sergeant Rock dude would have maybe been in the same neighborhood, and if you add in uh, the price of the machine gun placement, that probably moves it up. Let's just say $5.99. I, I know not exactly, but this one, this one was priced much lower, and I was stoked because it, it felt like it would fall into the range of something that I could that I could ask for. Like, this low price was fine. If it was the normal price, it might be a bit too much, and I went to my I went to my folks and I said to them, hey, look, I'd really like to get this. And they just, they just brushed me off like your folks are what to do. You know, no, nothing today, nothing today. They wouldn't even hear my argument about how I thought that it was mispriced and that it was a bit lower. They just, they just brushed me off and I was disappointed, but I took it and I, I kind of stashed it away behind some other stuff because I knew that we would be coming back to Toys R Us soon enough. I mean, uh, Kmart soon enough and that I would get another shot at it. So I... I sort of, you know, tucked it away in the corner somewhere. And then a couple days later, my grandpa was over and he was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Kmart. Does anyone want to come with? And I, I shot my arm up because my grandpa was a sweet guy, just a sweet, great guy who was always, you know, a soft touch for a toy. And I remember this machine gun placement. So I, you know, I went with him. I don't remember what he had to pick up. Let's just say it was a shovel and a pack of white t-shirts. And we went back to the store and I, you know, went off into the toy section like I would always do. And then I looked around and I looked around for my um, hidden machine gun placement because I was going to hit him up and I was for certain that he would get it for me because he was my grandfather and he was a great person and he loved me. So I, I poked around and I, you know, I eventually found it where I hid it. But when I pulled it out, I noticed that somebody else had found it before I did and that they put the correct price tag over the one that I, you know, thought was so great. And I was, I was just devastated to see this because in my mind, I was going home with this machine gun emplacement and any, anything less than that would be just completely unacceptable. So in, in a move that even today, I'm very surprised that I did because I'm basically like a super honest person to the best of my ability. I I scratched off the new price tag to reveal the older, you know, error price tag that I enjoyed so much. And I remember at the time I was just immediately sketched out doing this. I was so nervous that I was going to get caught. And then when I... I went, you know, to my grandpa and I was like, you know, grandpa, look, I, can you get this for me? And he saw it. He he noticed the scratched off price tag and he asked me if there was anything, you know, weird about that. And I told him no. And I, I felt awful, just awful that I had lied to my grandpa. I mean, what? who does that? It's a terrible move. And then he said that he would get it for me. And when we went through the checkout counter, the checker girl noticed the price tag and she asked me if there was you know did I mess with this or whatever and I said no no it was just like that and I I lied again and I went home with the machine gun emplacement like I wanted to but 
I felt awful. This toy became like a symbol of what kind of a bad person I was. I felt so guilty. I felt like a just a criminal, like a crook, like a total creep. And even though I I did play with it and I went on and I got other Sergeant Rock toys over the years that I enjoyed, this this has always stuck with me. And the feeling of how crummy I felt about about lying to my grandfather. He's here and he's my grandfather for for you know the Lord's sake. And he's doing me a great turn by buying me a present. And I you know I go ahead and I abuse that trust and then I lied to the store. I kept expecting the police to like come and break down my door and take me away. I remember being like super hesitant to ever play with the toy outside because I was afraid that somebody would see me and that like officer friendly would roll by and throw me in the back. This though, it did teach me a lesson because over the years I've I've tried to be a really honest person because I just didn't like the way that it felt being just openly dishonest like that. I mean I'll I'll tell a story, I'll tell a tale, you know, and I'll embellish the tale if it's all in good fun. But when it comes down to, you know, serious situations and things that matter, I I try to be honest. It's just, it's just easier overall because, I don't know, man, once you start getting deceitful, that web of deceit keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's just, it's bound to, bound to hook you in. Let's, uh... Let's get past this tale of moral depravity and move into some of the more serious details about the toy line. It's not it's not a giant toy line, but we're going to try to we're going to try to have some fun with it. But let's uh let's listen to this Remco commercial I pulled out of the good old VHS vault and then we will be right back with some of the Pertlands. This news just in. Remco announces big deals. Let's take a closer look. Temperatures are rising. Cool off today with this high-efficiency Frederick Room Air Conditioner. Rent to own it in just eight months. Beat the heat with a deal that can't be beat. Smart shoppers are flocking to Remco. And no wonder. Sources say this deal is going fast. Call Remco now, where it's easy to afford the things you want now. I see Robots Radio. I don't think that that was the same Rimco. I just had it labeled on a on a cassette with a piece of tape, and it said Rimco commercial for future use. I I guess I found it a while back, and I I, I had it there just just in case I would need. Uh, you know, it seemed likely that at some point I would be talking about Rimco again. Before we get into the before we get into the toys, let's talk for a quick sec about who. Who Sergeant Rock was? Sergeant Rock was a World War II character created by uh, Roger Kaner and Joe Kubert. Joe Kubert was the the artist that, to me, most defined Sergeant Rock. His style of Sergeant Rock is definitely, definitely the one that I think of when I think of the character. And he he actually did the card art for the toys, the figures, and also for... Uh, some print ads that ran in comic books. Sergeant Rock's first appearance is a bit, it's a bit up for debate. Some people think that it was G.I. Combat number 68, which featured a character known as The Rock, who was a sergeant and was was drawn by Joe Kubert. Joe Kubert said that this was a prototype for the later Sergeant Rock character who, who appeared in our Army at War number 83, which came out in June of 59. 
if you look into the values of the two books, the the GI Combat with The Rock is that one ranges on eBay from like five hundred to like seven hundred and fifty dollars on the sold tip, and the other one, the R Army at War, that goes for you know sometimes up to like twelve hundred. Twelve hundred dollars in nineteen seventy-seven. GI Combat was changed; its title was changed to Sergeant Rock. And then six years later, Rimco brought bought the rights to the character and began producing some toys. It seemed like it seemed like a good idea. Hasbro had GI Joe out at at the same time and. They were having a fair amount of success with that toy, and the and the Sergeant Rock was was on scale with the Joe. When I when I played GI Joe, one thing I felt that was lacking as a kid, and we didn't have that uh we didn't have the phrase for it, and that was army building. I guess Cobra Cobra had uh you know the Cobra officer and the Cobra soldier, and I guess he could have bought a thousand of them. But on the GI Joe side, there wasn't any any kind of standard infantry trooper and i could never buy into the fact that it was only the joes on the joe team that were fighting against cobra cobra had cobra had an army that was at least you know 10 15 20 maybe 100,000 soldiers they they seemingly had endless dudes and endless weapons and there was what i don't i'm just off the top of my head 75 joes at the most and that's if you're if you're counting, like, all the different series, it's not, it's not fair. G.I. Joe couldn't have done it. There had to be, there had to be, like, random infantry dudes in the back. And the, and the Sergeant Rock toys would have filled in very well for the random infantry guys. But let's be perfectly honest, these Rimco gimmicks don't, they don't have the best details. Rimco, uh, as a toy company, was short for remote control. It was founded by Ike Keller and Saul Robbins. They're... Their first things were like walkie-talkies and, you know, remote control toys. They had a factory in Newark, NJ. They did eventually get into licensing things. They had they had a pretty tight set of uh, Universal Monsters. And I did, I do recall having a few of these as a kid. I know definitely, definitely that I had Dracula. And I know that I also had Frankenstein. This was, this was back when we were still in Illinois. I... I like these toys. Uh, Burger King came out with a set of Universal Monsters, and they are, like, almost identical to these. So, it's like, all the time I'll be at the flea market, and I think I find, like, a Rimco Dracula, and it's, in fact, a Burger King Dracula. And that always, that always bums me out. But then they also had Dukes of Hazard, also Warlord. Warlord was a DC comic uh, series. It was, it was by Mike Grell. We covered this. In episode number eight. Episode number eight is the single worst downloaded of all of the episodes. There was no interest in The Warlord by Rimco. And I, I understand it was not, like, the most awesome comic. And the toy line, I think it was fun. And this also was, like, also like Sergeant Rock because they were on scale for He-Man. So you could take your Warlord dudes and you could flip them over there. They did Kristar. I really like Kristar. I dug how dude was all crystal-like. I thought that the character of Kristar had a neat design with that red helmet and, like, the red briefs and such and his sword. I really dug him, but I don't think that I ever had any Kristars. I look for them online from time to time. If I could get, like, a big lot at an affordable price, I would definitely be into that. They did the Mighty Crusaders, based off the Archie Comics characters, AWA Wrestling, 
talked about this earlier. That was covered in episode number 13. I I was into those AWA dudes. I've had a million of those over the years. Right now, I have a, I have a tag team set up on the wall that I like. I, I dig those guys. I don't have any of the ones I really want. I want like Ric Flair. I want like the Road Warriors. I don't have any of those, but maybe someday they also did the Karate Kid. We covered that in episode 23. That was a neat set of toys. Remco was eventually bought out by Azric Hamway, which in 1997 sold the rights to the Remco name to Jack's Pacific. I wonder, I wonder what the plans were for that. They're, I don't know, man. I don't know what Remco could own that wasn't available for you to own if you had the power to go out there and buy Rimco. If you if you catch what I'm saying there, Jack Specific was kind of uh, they made the they made the WWF figures for a while when I was sort of kind of into them and they they weren't all that great, but eventually they did they get get better. Rimco started off in '82. The series ran from '82 till '84 with a set of. With a set of 16 figures, the the dudes were three and three quarter inch. They had seven points of articulation, the head, the shoulders, the hips, which is kind of the waist where the legs were. And then the knees, they, they each came with a patch or a dog tag and a weapon, sometimes a weapon and a tool, like a... Like a shovel, you started off with a basic soldier, he had an M16 and an infantry patch, he was your army builder dude, then he had shoots, he had an airborne patch and an M16, cowboy who, I'm not really sure, well, yeah, he does have a cowboy hat, it's, doesn't really look so much, I'm, I'm looking at pictures right now to, to aid, aid my descriptions of these guys, and he, he's sleeveless, wearing green, and he does have a cowboy hat, it's a bit small, I would have, I would have made it more of a 10-gallon hat. This is maybe a one-and-a-half-gallon hat. He had a patch, a Ranger patch, and an M16. Then there was Doc. He had a medical patch and, like, a shovel and some stuff. And then then there was Gunner, who carried... He had a different gun, not an M16. I call it, like, a grease gun. That's what I've heard it called in World War II movies, but I don't know what it's called. He would kind of hold it with two hands, and the stock comes in and out. If you... If you know a lot about guns and you want to hit me up on Twitter at ICRobots, I would be curious what the actual designation of that gun is. Look up Gunner, uh, Rimco Sergeant Rock. And then you had the Gyrene. I think Gyrene is like slang for a Marine. He has an M16 and a dog dog tag. There was a combat instructor. He looks a lot like these guys that have preceded him. The, out of the, out of the ones we have looked at, Already, maybe four of them look like the exact same mold, just colored differently. And then the Leatherneck, who is also an M16, and he has an M16, a shovel, and a dog tag. Then you have Mac. Mac does not have a helmet, which is not safe. He has a grease gun and an airborne patch. Then there was the Marksman. He had an M16. Then a Ranger. He had an M16. Also a military policeman who had a... He had a white helmet. And then there was a Ranger. Also, Sergeant Rock himself. Now, Sergeant Rock bears no resemblance to the actual Sergeant Rock that we all know and love. Sergeant Rock had a... He had a sleeveless outfit and also, like, M60 bullets, like, strapped across his chest. Dude was... Dude was ready for anything. And this guy, he's just wearing a standard sort of, you know, infantry dude suit with buttons and such. He doesn't even, he doesn't even have Rock's signature Tommy gun. Rock is cool, man. He must have been a good sergeant because 
he was he was carting around that extra ammo for the M60 like right on his chest when he didn't even use the M60. He's just like he's just helping out because you know that's what a that's what a good leader would do and everybody has to do more than their own part in a situation like that. And then after that you move into the instructor who is he's kind of a karate guy. He's wearing a gi, he has a black belt, he has a headband and he also has a rifle. So dude Dude knows to come correct. I will say, though, that I do kind of dig it when a guy's like, guys like Storm Shadow or uh, Death Stroke the Terminator or Deadpool, and they have machine guns and a sword. The, I, the idea of getting into, like, close-range combat would be a little less stressful, even though it would be incredibly stressful if you, if you had a sword and you knew that you could just, like, pull it out and start hacking away as opposed to having to, like, stab. Bayonets seem effective, but not when you get in a bit tighter. Like, you can stab dudes when they're, like, a rifle length away, and it's awesome for that, I would imagine. But if they get in and it gets to, like, knife or fist range, a sword's gonna, a sword's really gonna do you well. That's just my opinion, and I have no reason to share it. Just... It's there for the sake of comic book World War II talk. They they made some playsets as well. There was, of course, the the machine gun emplacement that I talked about in the story earlier. This was molded plastic to look like look like sandbags, and it came with a barbed wire fence you could stand in front of it, and a machine gun that you could attach into a to a small hole, and it came with a figure who also had an M16, and you could put it behind the emplacement. I I wanted this pretty bad. I thought it would have fit in well. It did fit in well with my G.I. Joe stuff. I coveted this for a while. I want that. I want that to be be understood. There was also a playset with Sergeant Rock versus the bad guys. The bad guys were... They were Sergeant Rock's Cobra. In this world, in the Rimco Kmart world, he didn't fight the Nazis. He fought the bad guys. The bad guys were all black. They they are almost a separate series, and I think that I'm going to cover them at a later date. I want to want to try to squeeze an episode out of the bad guys. They had different card art. They had a figure that came in a different scale. So to me, they are a different set that crossed over this this Sergeant Rock versus the play the bad guys playset is. It's not on scale with the three and three quarter inch Sergeant Rock. These are like small army men. It's it's pretty neat. It has over a hundred pieces. There are tanks and jeeps. I I would not have minded having this either. There were a couple more. We're getting we're getting near the end of of the Rimco stuff, which is which is sad. This was kind of a neat toy series. I I did enjoy it. They made an action play case. It was also molded plastic with like a machine gun emplacement in the front and then sort of sort of a house in the back. You could use it to to contain your toys, not very well. There were there were some small nooks you could put things in, and it would fold up and be you know a carrying case. This was fun. It was more of a playset that you could take on the go with you, as opposed to a to a carrying case like a Darth Vader head or like the space case. I I would have dug this too. This would have fit in really well with with the GI Joes. That was that was kind of the hook with these toys on the back of the card it said that they were compatible with G.I. Joe and MASH and many other many other mini figures of the time so they were they were just going for it there was also like 
a small foam and plastic paper airplane that you could launch with, that you could launch with a rubber band, but that wasn't like anything to actually do with Sergeant Rock himself. And then there was also a Parachute Man. The Parachute Man is pretty cool. I I really go for Parachute Man. I think that I think that's a neat toy. I like it when, as opposed to just like a standard figure comes attached, you could like put your own dudes in there. I like it when the when the parachute was of the size that you could you could use one of your Joes, but you would only really, in my memory, get like two or three kind of tosses in the air before it would get tangled and that kind of string was rough. Some dudes I would imagine had, you know, the finger dexterity that they could easily undo it. But me, I I was impatient and I was bored and I would generally just fling them in the garbage. What was the name of that one kind of parachute man that you would get like all the time from like Chuck E. Cheese for a couple tokens or Scandia or whatever the arcade was? Let me rack my brain for this on a second. What was the name of that? Uh-uh. Uh, Poopa Troopers. That's it. Poopa Troopers. Remember you would, you'd go to the dentist and if you were good, you could, you could get a Poopa Trooper. I was so into those dudes. You would pick them up maybe in like packs of five or six. They were small plastic. Let's hold on a sec. I am going to, let me, let me log on here. We're going to look on eBay and see about Poopa Troopers real quick. Logging on, logging on, logging on. You've got mail. Okay, here we are. Poopa Troopers were made in the 70s and the 80s by Imperial Toys. I'm looking at one here. It's the girl. I remember her really distinctly. They go for like $9, $10 each. Here's one with the parachute. These are fun. If you are, if you're near a computer right now and you want a, uh, you want to get like a nostalgia blast, look up Poopa Trooper on eBay. It's well worth it. Very, very interesting and something I had completely forgotten about. I'm glad, glad I was able to dig that out. That, that honestly made this, this whole Rimco piece worthwhile for me. I was able to think of something that I hadn't thought of forever. So there you go, man. This, this one goes out to, uh, our boy Engineer Nerd. He, he sent out a list to me a while ago of things that might be good topics, and this was one of them, and I did think that it would be a fun topic, so let's give it up to him. He was on Nerd Lunch the other week, so hop on over there and check that out. They were talking about Jackie Chan and such. It's it's pretty fun stuff. You can see him or hear him uh, from time to time on Action Figure Blues, which is, which is always fun, but it is definitely more fun when he's aboard, so... There you have it. There you go. You know everything you would ever want to know about Sergeant Rock by Rimco. Let's let's move into the, the final segment of the show. Do you ever think about when you're out of here? Blue snuggle teeth and yak face out of here. Migos and G.I. Joe out of here. No doubt ISR is old school, but he ain't going out. You've made it this far. It's time, the final segment, the Icy Robots Radio Pop Culture slash Toy News slash Other Boring Stuff Informational Moment. That's kind of a, kind of a mouthful, huh? But at any rate, I have done it. I have finally changed, finally changed the name of the final segment. It's now the slash this slash that informational boring moment or, or something of that sort. It's kind of... 
It's kind of similar to the one that A.B. Silver wrote when uh, Pooptronics was producing producing the show for us. And I, I don't think that you can ignore a bad idea, even if, I mean, a good idea, rather, even if you don't, even if you don't like the source. So as much as I wasn't a fan of A.B. Silver's overall direction, I did. Did not mind that, so I sort of adjusted it a bit to to suit our needs here at good old IC Robots Radio. So there you have it. That's that. What else is what else is cracking? We we are gonna have a all new, all fun episode of the Gino Vega, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast coming out this Friday. If you are getting this on Wednesday, that's only a couple days away. It's great. I've heard it. It's a terrific episode. Super fun. Super great. He he has all kinds, all kinds of memories that just, like, they, they ring so close to home because, well, for me, they are, they are at least, you know, taking place near, near my home. But from, from what I understand, you know, just talking to dudes, hitting the people on the streets, talking to the people, people on the internet and such, a lot of people are really connecting with this show and that's terrific. And I am happy to, I'm happy to help even in a small way to bring that, bring that to you. Gino has... He has some terrific tales, good good production value. It's all it's all good in the hood, so keep your ears peeled for that. It's gonna be fun. You are I feel like you're guaranteed enjoyment out of that. So let's see. What's going on in the world of toys? I was over at the good old TRU the other day and I saw they had the new series of uh what is it called? Marvel Universe, Marvel Multiverse, DC Multiverse is actually the name of it. I had to, I got notes. It's weird, man. I got a, I got a new, uh, clipboard the other day. It, it's cool. I got it at the dig. I found it in a box of stuff and it has all these heavy metal stickers, like vinyl stickers on it. There's like a Slayer sticker and a Megadeth sticker. And it's like, it's all cool. So I've been using that to, to keep notes during the week, just to kind of, kind of remind me of stuff that I, might want to talk about because a lot of times I just I don't know I just play it right off right off the cuff but uh I saw these DC multiverse figures these are sort of the answer to to Marvel Legends sort of the answer to uh Star Wars Black they're they're kind of on scale with that and they make figures from all of the far-ranging DC multiverses from just like the standard normal normal earth and then you know the TV universes they've made like a uh Supergirl, a Melissa Benoist Supergirl, which which I didn't pick up when I saw it in person. I didn't I didn't think it was a very good likeness, so I didn't I didn't grab it. But this one is pretty neat. It has uh it has a lot of Batman characters like you'd expect, but the one that I'm really really looking forward to is there is a Batgirl of Burnside. That's the that's the current version of Batgirl that's over in the DC universe. It's more more of kind of a youngster like hipster kind of tale. It's good. I read it for a while. I did give up on it, but it wasn't because I thought it was poor quality. I just, I had to, I had to cut some books, you know, I had to do some, do some comic book budgeting and I decided I'm going to read them. I like, I got my stack of books for the month and I'm going to read them in the order of like importance to me, like which one can't I wait for? And then I'll just keep going down and then whatever ones are down at the bottom, they they stand a risk to get cut. And Batgirl was down at the bottom for a few months at a time, so finally it got the chop. But when I was over at the store the other day, I saw I saw the issue, and I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't have given up on that, and I might I might actually give it a uh, another look. But they have a 
They have a Batgirl of Burnside figure in this DC multiverse, and I am really looking forward to that. They didn't have it at the store. They had Damian Wayne. Like, they had two pegs of Damian Wayne and one Commissioner Gordon. And this is, this is the new modern Commissioner Gordon. I guess they did some kind of an angle where he was, uh, taking the place of, uh, Bruce Wayne as Batman for a while, but he had, like, a mechanized Batman suit of some sort. I don't... I don't know the details of that, but they made a figure for that dude. Let's see who else is in the series. There is a Hawkman from the Legends of Tomorrow, a Joker from the Dark Knight Returns, and Zoom from uh, Flash on the TV on the CW. And if you if you buy them all, you get a King Shark Build-A-Figure. I have never successfully done a Build-A-Figure in my life. I've never even... I've never even had more than like three pieces, I think. I don't, I don't know, man. I just, I get the ones I want and the ones I want don't come across very often, which brings me to uh, something that I bought this week. I I actually bought a Marvel Legends. I got it at the flea market. The Sebastopol flea market has like one dude there who sells toys like pops and action figures and amiibos and stuff. It's mostly like a Mexican flea market with like Mexican snacks and Mexican products and things and it's all fun. It's really great. We enjoy going there. There's like a bunch of food vendors and it's really, really neat. But this is the only dude there who has, you know, like pop culture kind of toys and stuff. And when I, when I was walking by, I saw out of the corner of my eye that he had a bunch of Marvel Legends across the front. And I, I picked up one that I have been wanting to have for the longest time. And that is Disco Dazzler. I'm like a huge fan of Dazzler. Alison Blair is one of my favorite characters. I think she's neat. I think she has neat powers. I like, I don't know, man. I like the whole package. She's one of my favorites. At any rate, this is the part of uh, the Warlock build-a-figure. Warlock is, is he that guy? He was in like the New Mutants. He's all like black and red and squiggly. This is a very familiar character to me. I'm thinking that it was that guy, but this looks like a more menacing version of him. I don't, I'm not sure. I only, only have one arm from him. So who, who really cares? She's, uh, she's really cool. She's the seventies version of her, the one that is on the cover of like Dazzler number one with the feathered hair and the eye makeup. And she has a microphone and like a disco necklace and roller skates. And she has a neat like, circular piece that's, like, uh, all sorts of different colored acrylic sort of plastic, and it snaps onto her wrist, and it looks like she has, like, sound waves emanating from her, from her hands. I got her for $21. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty fair. I, I've been looking for this one for a long time. They never seem to get the new Marvel Legends at the Toys R Us. We're still looking at, like, Doctor Strange, and we're looking at, like, the the kitty pride with the dragon on her shoulder, which I should buy. I keep meaning to, but I I can't bring myself to, which means I probably don't really want it. This, let's see who was in this series. There's Colossus, Shatterstar, I do not know who that is, Dazzler, Polaris, Cyclops, Sunrise, and Wolverine. It looks like Old Man Logan to me. He has like gray hair. He's wearing that brown leather jacket with the furry collar. Sunfire looks good. He has a cool costume. He's a X-Men character who comes from the land of the rising sun. I recall him being very like nationalistic, but I don't, I don't follow the X-Men super tightly. I do, I do like the X-Men movies, but I, I've never really like read a lot of the X-Men lore. I, I kind of stuck on the Captain America Avengers side of the storyline but man for the longest time the x-men were the jam i guess they got a movie nowadays so that makes them like 
still the jam, but they were the comic jam for for just like the longest time. What else is popping? We've gotten to the end of the CW seasons. I was very satisfied with The Flash, the finale of The Flash, and I was super satisfied with the season. Arrow, though, is such such a slog. It's so painful to watch poor Oliver go through torture after torture after torture after bad thing, and he does try his best to be a good dude, and it's just it's sad to see this character that you like getting getting tormented like this. Uh, Stephen Amell is like a really likable actor and he really comes across as just like, you know, a night, like a likable guy. And just watching him go through all this is very upsetting and depressing. I wonder why they decided not to go with the more, more practical comic version of Oliver Queen, where he is a, like a fun loving womanizer who is self-righteous and indignant at the the same time, you know, he's, like, macking on all the broads and swigging beer while watching boxing matches with Hal Jordan. Why don't they, why didn't they go with that direction? I, I talk to people and they go, well, maybe they will end up there. And I think there's no way that this dude that we see now is going to become that dude unless he goes completely off the rails and becomes just, like, a functioning alcoholic and just gives himself up for ruin. And I don't, I don't see that. I think that I would have just started with somebody who was heading that way or was already there. Maybe like a more modern, younger version where he's like, he's really woke because Green Arrow is just totally woke. But he also, you know, he has a bunch of lady friends because, you know, he's just open and he, he drinks a lot because craft beer is cool and he likes he likes getting open with his friends, but at night, you know, he's out there shooting dudes with boxing glove arrows or, or whatever. I don't know. That's that's how I would have done it. This show is just so depressing. You take one of the, like, brightest characters. Like, he's, you know, he's a real real show uh, boat, show stealer kind of dude. You take one of these characters and turn him into Batman with a, with a bow. That's, it seems like they wanted to do Batman. You know, they got the whole Raza Ghoul and the Lazarus Pits and all this stuff. It seems as if... They wanted to do Batman, and they couldn't do it, so they did Batman through Green Arrow. I don't know. I didn't... The season was watchable, and there were some highlights, like Team Arrow is cool. I like Mr. Terrific. I like Wild Dog. I think the team is neat. I enjoy them. I wouldn't mind seeing, like, a Wild Dog spinoff, maybe, like, a half-hour show. I would definitely watch that. Same with, like, a Mr. Terrific, a half-hour spinoff. Do an hour show where it's, like, half Mr. Terrific half wild dog call it uh i don't know whatever you want i think that would that would be fun and i'd definitely watch it but arrow is just a slog just i don't know i i do like it and i will keep watching but man this guy this guy and his life uh i think that i think that we're gonna get up out of here this has been a heck of a show but before before we do i have to talk i have to talk summer i do a lot of the recording up here on the Jupiter base, but there are times when the when the work there gets too heavy, the load gets too heavy, so I have to take it and do the recording on the home front. And we are entering summer, and uh, you do know the existence of, of 2.0, and she'll be home, and we'll be doing stuff. So this is, this is going to affect the show. I don't... I'm absolutely certain that we will be able to stay on schedule. I think that we may we may have to make a concession to show length. There may be weeks when you're getting 
sort of a bare bones show with just, you know, some movie reviews and stuff, some, you know, stories or whatever, but maybe not with the giant feature. I'm going to do my best to stay on course. And I really do think that with proper time management and things that I can really keep staying the course. But I just wanted you to be aware that there may be weeks when you're getting a show that's more of the traditional Toys R Us report length from back in the day. I I know I can get a half hour out, no sweat. I know I can get a half hour done in 35 minutes. So there is that. Just wanted to be, just wanted you to be aware of that. So hit me up on Facebook. That's facebook.com backslash Robots. A lot of fun stuff there. Hit me up on Instagram at Robots on Twitter. And that is at Robots as well. Go to icrobots.com to to find all of the fun shows. We got GeekFest Rants. We got Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. There's the audio handbook of the Marvel Universe. You cannot go wrong with any of these also. Consider becoming a show patron at supportthereport.com. I've been putting an all-new show up there known as Real Wisdom, where we talk about some, some life lessons you can learn through the world of cinema. There are Right now, as we speak, three episodes up there. They're a lot of fun. They're getting rave reviews. You you might want to check that out. You can do it for as little as a dollar a month. That's not even a big deal. So support thereport.com. We would thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Namaste. So this is me, IC Robot, signing off. This is episode number 119. Remco Sergeant Rock for Engineer Emily for Iceberg. He's around here somewhere. If you don't know, now you know. Recorded live on Jupiter's moon, Callisto, this has been an IC Robots radio production.